0: Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Friday, October 11th. In today's news, Rudy Giuliani's associates had one-way tickets out of the country when they were arrested for scheming to funnel foreign money into the Trump super PAC. With Russian support, the Turks are pushing deeper into Syria, and the Kurds are on their own. And Facebook is getting grief for letting politicians lie in their ads on the social network. But first, the big idea. At least four national security officials were so alarmed by the Trump administration's attempts to pressure Ukraine for political purposes that they raised concerns with a White House lawyer both before and immediately after President Trump's July 25th phone call with that country's president. The nature and timing of the previously undisclosed discussions with National Security Council legal adviser John Eisenberg indicate that officials were delivering warnings through official White House channels earlier than previously understood, including before the call that precipitated the whistleblower complaint and the impeachment inquiry of the president. At the time, the officials were unnerved by the removal in May of the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, by subsequent efforts from Trump's lawyer Rudy Giuliani to promote Ukraine-related conspiracies, and by signals in meetings at the White House that Trump wanted the new government in Kiev to deliver material that would be politically damaging to Joe Biden. Those concerns soared in the aftermath of the July call. Several inside sources tell my colleagues Greg Miller and Grave Jaffe that within minutes of the call on July 25th, senior officials, including National Security Advisor John Bolton, were being pinged by subordinates about problems with what the president had said to his Ukrainian counterpart, Volodymyr Zelensky. Bolton and others scrambled to obtain a rough transcript that was already being locked down on a highly classified computer network. It's unclear whether some or all of the officials who complained to Eisenberg are also the ones who later spoke to the whistleblower. These accounts are sharply at odds with Trump's depiction of the call as a perfect exchange in which he did nothing wrong, despite appearing to link U.S. support for Ukraine to that country's willingness to investigate the family of his political opponent. But new details about the sequence inside the White House suggest that concerns about the call and events leading up to it were profound even among Trump loyalists and top advisors, including not just Bolton, but then acting Deputy National Security Advisor Charles Kupperman. Officials say that within hours of the 9 a.m. conversation on July 25th, a rough transcript compiled by aides had been moved from the more widely shared White House network to one normally reserved for classified intelligence operations. At the same time, officials were seeking ways to report what they had witnessed, an undertaking complicated by the lack of a White House equivalent to the inspector general positions found at other agencies. As a result, one official who had listened on the call went immediately to Eisenberg. By the end of the next day, at least two others who had either heard the call or seen that rough transcript had also done so. But it's not clear whether Eisenberg took any further action after the warnings he received. One official says Eisenberg vowed he would follow up a message interpreted to mean that he intended to investigate the matter and perhaps relay the dismay up the ranks to White House counsel Pat Cipollone. If that occurred, it would help explain how the White House was already aware of concerns about the July call when contacted by the CIA's general counsel weeks before the whistleblower complaint submitted by an agency employee became public. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar this Friday. Number one, Two Soviet-born associates who have been working closely with Giuliani were arrested on charges of scheming to funnel foreign money to U.S. politicians while trying to influence relations with Ukraine. The two men, Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman, who had been helping Giuliani investigate Biden, were arrested Wednesday night at Dulles International Airport right outside of Washington. The FBI says they had one-way tickets on a flight out of the country, Apparently, they were heading to Vienna. Parnas and Freeman have been under investigation by the U.S. Attorney's Office in Manhattan. After a court appearance yesterday in Alexandria, Virginia, the pair were approved for release on a $1 million bond each under the condition that they remain at their Florida homes with GPS monitoring and third-party custodians. They will remain in jail until those conditions are met. These arrests mark the first criminal charges to emerge from the scandal. The president told reporters last night on his way to a rally in Minneapolis that he didn't know either man, even though there are multiple pictures of him and his son with them. Jay Succolo, another lawyer representing Trump, said that neither the president nor the Trump campaign were aware of these allegations. But John Dowd, a lawyer for Parnas and Freeman who formerly worked for Trump, told Congress earlier this week that the two men have been assisting Giuliani on behalf of the president in his work. The indictment does not mention Giuliani or suggest that he was connected to these alleged crimes, but a person familiar with the investigation says federal agents are scrutinizing Giuliani's dealings with Parnas and Fruman, including financial records. In an interview last night, Giuliani declined to answer specific questions about the arrest of his associates or his financial dealings with them. The Justice Department says that Parnas and Fruman disguised the source among other crimes, allegedly of a $325,000 donation made last year to America First, the main pro-Trump super PAC. They gave the money in the name of a company that they called Global Energy Producers. But federal prosecutors say that company was a front used to disguise the true source of the funds and that the money was actually from a third party who has not yet been disclosed. Perhaps a Russian or a Ukrainian third party. Number two. Turkish forces are pushing deeper into Syria this morning as the Kurds struggle to defend their homeland without American support. The escalating violence sent thousands of civilians on both sides of the border fleeing their homes, and aid agencies are warning of a humanitarian crisis. The United Nations reports that more than 70,000 people have already been displaced in northeast Syria as a result of the invasion. Kurdish authorities in northern Syria say as many as 10 civilians were killed yesterday by Turkish forces, while mortar and rocket fire from Syria left six people dead inside Turkey. Trump is under increasing pressure to take action in response to all of this. While one senior administration official says that sanctioning Turkey is the leading option, another says mediation is the path the president would most prefer. An emergency meeting of the UN Security Council to discuss the crisis highlighted the degree to which The Russians are on board with the Turk offensive. Five European ambassadors who had called the meeting hoped to present a united front against Turkey. They stood together with a sixth from Estonia and demanded that Turkey immediately cease military operations. They also vowed not to provide any stabilization or development assistance in areas where the local population is being mistreated. Kelly Craft the U.S. ambassador to the U.N. said the Trump administration does not endorse Turkey's military action and warned of unspecified consequences, but she stopped short of condemning the attack and she refused to join the Europeans in their joint statement. Meanwhile, the Russian ambassador to the U.N. blamed the United States for creating the conflict and defended Turkey. Then Norway and Finland announced that they're suspending all exports of military arms to Turkey. In response, Turkish President Recep Erdogan threatened to open the borders and send millions of Syrian refugees into Europe unless the governments in the EU stop calling the military action an invasion. In response to that, the Europeans reiterated that it is an invasion. Here in Washington... The three top House Republicans, Kevin McCarthy, Steve Scalise and Liz Cheney, announced that they, along with dozens of their GOP colleagues, plan to introduce legislation next week to impose sanctions on Turkey. And retiring Republican Congressman John Shimkus of Illinois went further. He said he's no longer supporting Trump's reelection in 2020 because the president, quote, stabbed our allies in the back at an event in South Carolina last night. Senator Lindsey Graham, the Republican, called Trump's decision to pull troops from northern Syria the single biggest blunder of his presidency. When a reporter asked if this could become Trump's Vietnam, Graham replied, no, this is worse. Number three, as Facebook has cracked down on disinformation flooding its social media platforms, executives have decided to codify a key loophole. Politicians remain free to lie at will unbound by the rules designed to stop everyday users from peddling viral falsehoods. This decision has sparked a sharp backlash among Democrats, who complain that it gives Trump free reign to use major social media platforms as disinformation machines. Elizabeth Warren made this point in a Facebook ad she put up yesterday, in which she says that the company has essentially endorsed Trump by letting him get away with lying. Last week, Joe Biden asked Facebook to remove a Trump campaign ad that made demonstrably false claims about him. The company refused to do so on the grounds that political speech is not covered by the fact-checking system it put in place after the 2016 election. These Democratic complaints have emerged as a counterpoint to long-standing claims by Republicans, including Trump, that social media platforms and their mostly liberal workforces unfairly tilt the playing field against conservatives and their ideas. Deception is hardly new to politics, of course, and candidates have run ads inflating their records and trashing their opponents on television and radio for years. But these falsehoods now, in the age of social media, can go so viral in a matter of minutes, reaching millions of people around the world. The pressure to more aggressively police disinformation has left Facebook and its Silicon Valley peers in a precarious position. Democrats and Republicans alike agree that social media sites must be more vigilant to protect our civic discourse after Russian agents so easily seeded propaganda on the Internet's most popular platforms in 2016. But doing so would require Facebook and others, including Twitter and YouTube, to embrace a truth-squatting role that they've long avoided, in no small part out of concern that political figures might see their decisions as biased. And that's The Daily 202 for Friday, October 11th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. Have a great weekend. I'll talk to you on Monday.